Attention students, the Jabroni University Network is now in session. Please make your way to class. Somebody who came up uh, a while back on, on a podcast, and you'll find out why. Um, he he fronted uh, a, a band that, uh, that I hold dearly and beloved to me, Six Going on Seven. He has an impressive uh, solo catalog that uh, I, I routinely revisit. And uh, we're going to talk about his new band uh, with, a, with a, a former guest of the show. Josh English, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, man. Thanks again for having me. Of course, of course. So um, there's a bit of a local connection uh, in yeah. the sense that Six Going On Seven was on Doghouse. Yes. And I'm from the Toledo area. Nice. So I'm yeah. talking to you from uh, from your former label home. Okay. Actually in the offices as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> made into your physical home. Um, Perfect. So, uh, so what, uh, let, I, just to kind of get right into it, uh, what have you been up to? How's the last year been for you? Um, I mean, the last year has been a little strange, you know, mm-hmm. like for, for everyone. Um, yeah. I think that I just sort of waffled back and forth between what I was doing like creatively and then also just sort, sort of trying to keep my head above water. But, you know, it's, it's a well-worn cliche at this point Yeah. to some degree, you know, everybody, collectively the collective we has been in the same soup for a while now yes. so <laughs> yeah ultimately i feel like um you know i was getting ready to do a potentially a single from like a solo single from some songs that i'd worked on mm-hmm. for the last couple of years in a collaborative thing and then i bumped that a little bit when i got a call from uh, my friend adam to do some other stuff and so now i'm sort of simultaneously two trajectories i've got okay. uh time booked in January of next year for another solo record. And in the interim, it's not right. It's not really in the meantime, doesn't sound correct. It's um, simultaneously. Sure. I'm working on this other thing. So yeah. 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 So you stayed busy regardless. Yes, for sure. Yes. For sure. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how productive always, but busy. Yes. <laughs> there's, there's a distinction to be made, I suppose. Right. Yes, for sure. So, um, so something that uh, that comes up a lot on here with with guests is the fact that like a lot of the guests I have on, it's because I connected to a certain point in life of you know mm-hmm. where all of your bands were all of all of the previous guests, your bands were all a huge part of my my life in my in my twenties and you know sure, continued sure. to be. Um, and for you and for me at least, it starts with six going on seven. Yeah, and that uh, that band, you guys were so much different in the sense that, like, you were writing the like when everybody else was, I, I guess, when everybody else was on this kind of punk rock 
path, like that punk rock roots were still there. Like you yeah, were yeah. bringing like a, a really well-established kind of power pop element to your songwriting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's how I always like, that's, I think that was the draws. I heard you guys. I'm like, Oh, this is way different. <laughs> that's cool, man. You know, like I, I, in retrospect, it's all, you know, it's always funny, but I think that at different points you're trying to write an album that, you know, you're super influenced by this band, this band, yeah. you're trying to sort of like write your version of said record. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody who doesn't, uh, who's not forthcoming about that, it's sort of <laughs> disingenuous, I, I believe, you know, yeah. but having said that, like, I did like in Portland, I was in bands like the nobody bands, like, you know, bands that didn't do anything unless you were here and and knew the, the, you know, the small community. But the first bands that I ever played out in had band members that were like a decade older than I am. And so that was, you know, eight, 10 years, I think, you know, eight, 10, 11 years, like all depending on who was in the band at the time. Right. And so I feel like I, I definitely got my like punk rock, feet wet in Portland doing some of that stuff and sort of okay. you know, fanboying out with like the members that, you know, knew these people that I, you know, that were icons right. to me in the local community. So by the time six going and seven happened, um, I felt like I'd written through not songs I didn't like, but I'd written to the point where I knew kind of like, I, I was really happy with the path we were on. And the last yeah. demo I wrote, prior to moving and starting six one seven with my friend will who i knew from uh oregon okay. uh, the drummer um the, the that demo is very very similar to early six going on seven stuff in fact okay songs that were on that demo were played at early six going on seven songs as six going on seven songs oh um, okay or like, you know, or ideas that I hadn't finished yet that I was like, this is close. Let's take this. Yes. Yeah. Whatever. But having said that, James and Will, you know, I don't know who I love. Okay. Like I love the police. That's another like three piece band. Yes. Yeah. But, and I love, you know, who's could do, I love all, you know, there's, there's plenty of like good stuff down those paths, but mostly when we were in a room together doing stuff, I was really struck by the idea at that point that I wanted to do something that felt uniquely like us, like sink or swim. Sure. And I I don't know that I had a super clear idea what that was, but it, I feel like it happened fairly organically. I was really into um, bass players who played the bass as your primary melodic line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Both in Portland bands that I'd seen do that here Mm -hmm. um, prior to moving. And then also, um, historically like i learned to play bass to the cure so i learned how to like i literally those were the songs that i played bass to and i was super um tuned into the fact that you can hum all those bass lines they're the hooks yep yes and i liked that and you know and that's the case and that's not the only band that does that but that that is to some degree certainly in in an era it's a very uniquely uh English thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. English band yeah. thing yeah. as opposed to. Yeah. I, I, um, and I'm glad you brought that up because that is, that is a distinction that I think six going on seven has is your bass playing stands out as a primary aspect of, of the melody. It's something that's moving along with the vocal line. And right. I, like, I, like you said, it's a, it's an English thing. Like it also makes me think of bands like the jam because yes. yeah, yeah absolutely that element in there where it's it's not just like you know it's not just 
part of the rhythm section, so to speak. Like it, it's a true element of, of the song. And I, and I, you know, I liked those bands to say, you know, I, I liked some of those bands. I wasn't aware of all of those bands, but sure. I discovered them along the way. Yeah. But for sure, The Cure. And then, of course, you know, Wire Jam. There, there's all yeah. of that stuff. Um, but also, credit where credit is due, like James and Will, like we both had, we were all like pains in the butt in terms of our influences and trying to like make this thing yep. together. <laughs> all very opinionated but we loved each other and we spent hours in that practice room. We practiced so much and wrote so much just yeah. out of the joy of it that I feel like, um, again, like it was a fairly organic, like development of the thing that we had. And I feel like in our best moments of our best eras, which is sort of like the, you know, maybe the tail end of the first record through the second record, just, you know, objectively, at least my, my two cents Yeah, in our best eras. Um, we had that dialed in and we just had our thing that we did and we worked really hard. But when a song came up, we just sort of like, you know, we would, it would happen fairly quick. We might right. obsess over like little neurotic, like, you know, parts of like, well, how does it come in there? Or like, you know, what are we doing mm-hmm. in the bridge here? You know, right. who's playing what? But other than that, a lot of it just came through repetition and we kind of knew what we you know, we were on a path. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you, whether conscious or not. <laughs> and with it only being the three of you, there is a little bit easier opportunity to connect like, and, and because there's less voices in the room trying to cram their, their two For cents sure. into it. <laughs> For sure. And I would come in with ideas like fully, like, here's the, I've got a verse and a chorus. I've got mm-hmm. this sort of thing. James would jam on like a part that he had that were like, you know, some real cool, interesting yeah. stuff. And I'd be like, Oh, can you keep playing that? And I would just have him loop it. And then I would start playing something and singing along and we'd write songs on the spot like that. Yeah. Um, Will was super. Um, when I knew Will, I knew Will for one year in, in college, basically like, okay. right. And um, then, and we became really good friends and played together. Like, you know, really quickly in a couple formations of things that, you know, didn't do anything, but recorded songs actually together as well. Yeah. And uh, he turned me on to a lot of like, like bitch magnet and some of the bands that like he, he was super like, Will might be the first person that I knew knew of like slint and bitch magnet and all these things. Oh, okay. um, That's, that's a super cool. um, And him more from the drumming angle of Of those things than anything else, you know, um, but then Will is like super, Will knows every like British band also and every like <laughs> 80s pop band as well. Yeah, so yeah, we yeah. had a lot of bonding over, like I love like Simple Minds and OMD and Tears for Fears. And Squeeze? Also, Squeeze? I, I, I like I like Squeeze. I don't okay. like Squeeze as much as Artie and Adam like Squeeze, I yeah. believe. I yeah. believe they're like, but yes, I'm I'm familiar for sure. Okay, Eckler, Bunnyman, all that stuff. Okay, so, yeah. that all makes sense because I like Squeeze is a band that I do, and uh, when I hear you and hear your songwriting, especially at six going on seven, <laughs> I hear Squeeze, I hear Elvis Costello. These were Elvis Costello were, for sure, of course, yeah. yeah. And these were, mm-hmm. I think that's what's interesting is at that time when you think like late '90s, early 2000s, and it, it, it's weird to it's it's not entirely weird because punk rock is such a huge bubble, but like there was with, for every sunny day real estate, I guess, you know, for, you know, for you, you have 10 of those, there's one six going on seven and you know, there's, or like you were around with like a really unique batch of bands too. Um, Moods for moderns is another band I think of in that era. 
Um, another doghouse band, I think. Love Light Shine. Uh, yeah. Uh, was it the damn personals like just bands that were different in comparison to you know the the world and the scene that you guys were playing in um so i i but i to kind of jump it back to get back to come back to this full circle so what you're playing with guys that are a lot older than you what is the punk rock and hardcore and that sort of stuff that really catches you like what, you mean, what was like what was I listening to or what was yeah. going on? Yeah, I mean, okay. So for my first, I definitely like my mom's a music teacher. She was an elementary school music teacher forever. Okay. She taught in high schools and such as well. But yeah, so I got a lot of like you know. I mean, my initial influence was like AM radio and like yeah. <laughs> Carol King and like you know Carly Simon and that sort of thing. Sure, a lot of those records. And then I you know discovered the stuff that I liked primarily by. FM radio. Yeah. Of <laughs> and course. I grew up in North Portland, St. John's area, which if anybody knows that area, that's like muscle car metal, metalville. Yeah. So all my peers, they were into like Def Leppard and Van Halen. And, and then, you know, some of the cooler kids knew about like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and Slayer and those sort of things. So that was like, you know, like those were like my gateway drugs kind of, you know, like of I, I was a big fan of uh, Def Leppard, like Pyromania, huge. Oh, but I simultaneously so good. <laughs> loved, it's great. It's great. Yeah. And I and I loved uh, Depeche Mode at the same time. And sure. then Prince. Mm-hmm. And there was a record store at the end of the block, or not the end of the block, I should say, two or three blocks um, north of me called Everybody's yeah. Record Tapes and Video. And that was where I spent all my no money. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would go down there and, uh, you know, they, they rented like VHS tapes, but they also had like cassettes and albums and CDs eventually, you know, right, but right. on the other side of the shop, it was a head shop with like black light posters and, and, uh, you know, bikes and paraphernalia. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. so that was my initial sort of like foray into like a music store and they had a spinner with buttons on it. Of course, I would just sit there and stare at, like you know, hypnotically, um, for those foil embossed buttons. You know, that would be like yeah. different things. And I would spend, you know, because I think they were, I don't know what they were like, fifty cents a button or yeah. something. You know, something in retrospect is so funny. But so I get like you know, three for a, you know, three for a dollar fifty or three for a dollar whatever the whatever the deal was they were deal. running. Right. I would usually get like somebody I knew. And then, you know, like maybe somebody I knew was cool, but didn't really know, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of like wearing the band shirt before you know what the band is. Yes. You see the black flag bars and you're like, oh, that's cool. I want that shirt. I have no idea what it means, but I want it. Yeah. And then you hear it and it blows your mind. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. So that all led to um, eventually in high school and actually prior to high school, but not long prior to high school, um, I was skating a lot. I've skated for, you know, ever. And then you buy like the Thrasher skate rock compilations. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was like a, you know, I I think I might've heard like Jodie Foster's army and like Mm. maybe TSOL, excuse me. Um, all of like whatever was on said compilation. Right. Right. Um, and then I kind of like heard stuff and, and like a lot of things, like the first time I heard the Slayer, it was stuff where I'd hear it and go like, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. And then an hour later, I'd be like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so that was like my, that, that kind of was before local, you know, objectively. Of course. Sure. Um, and then when I was able to go to shows and stuff, I got, you know, into some cooler stuff. So poison idea is probably the first 
band. Wow. That Poison Idea is probably the first band locally that I thought yeah. was like, wow. And I actually, in junior high school, mm-hmm. and then in high school, my freshman year, I was paired up with Jason Lang as my PE partner. And Jason Lang is Jerry A's little brother. So that was a huge... And he he would never know this because it's been years, but like he was one of the first people, like, because I knew of Poison Idea, but again, kind of like peripherally, you know, I knew because they had this thing called the Mayor's Ball, which was like a cool local music festival. Mm -hmm. And Poison Idea was, you know, blowing flamethrowers at the ceiling and just doing all this crazy shit at the time, you know? Yeah, Poison um, Idea shit. (laughs) It was scary. It was scary to me, you know? And like all, like all those things, like it's this sort of simultaneous emotions of like, I'm scared and I want to check it out at the same right. time. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Um, and Portland in that era, to be fair, in those clubs was, was scary. That's not, even in retrospect, I realize that stuff now, you know? Yeah, you sure. Not, not just poison idea, but like the, just no, the vibe like, in general. Yeah. Yeah. Like Satyricon, which is where I played yep. some of my first shows. That club is effectively like the CBGBs of, you know, Portland or the rat of yep. Portland, you know, there's an equivalent in every city. Of course. But it's just yep. like, you know, anybody who says, hey, I want a show, they're like, cool, you play Thursday at, you know, 4 p.m. <laughs> you know, cool. it, the barrier of entry is non-existent. <laughs> but um, having said that, they also had, you know, amazing shows there. And I saw sure. some amazing stuff there. And then, uh, so probably like Poison Idea. And then, you know, I kind of backtracked to, um, you know, maybe like Dead Moon, um, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And yeah. that's all stuff that was, Poison Idea was still going. Dead Moon was sort of like off and on. Some of those bands right. were back. They weren't really current, you know. Yeah. They, um, yeah. And then all of the contemporary bands at the time, like um, stuff before I came to, to uh, Boston would be like Heat Miser, like Elliot Smith's band yep. prior, who to this day, I think stands for me as one of the best live bands in their era I've ever seen. No kidding. And, and I've seen... I've seen Stevie Wonder and I've seen, <laughs> I've seen a ton of great live bands, yeah. but they at their peak with their initial bass player, Brant Peterson were amazing and consistently amazing. For wow. Me. And I, like, it is something to, as much as Portland has talked about, I don't think that people really do sit and think about how many influential bands came from that scene like just just naming like you naming poison idea and dead moon my brain was going of course yes those are like massively influential bands and we think of portland as a as just this city this i think the rest uh, there's huge swaths of the country that are just like well portland's portland's this far off land where everything's legal and there's (laughs) you know right right which is again like a little fantasy but yes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you know that that tying tying it all in that that kind of makes sense in some way because when I think of those two bands, even though there were other bands that were just as influential, of course, me, yeah, that definitely made an imprint on my young you know teenage brain and then twenty something sure. brain. And when I was doing six going on seven, I think one thing that Will James and I had all the way through for the most part was this stubborn thing that we're like, we're going to do this. We're going to be a cool band. Right. If it kills us, <laughs> you yeah. know, we're going to, we're going to do what we, what we want to do rather than what we should do. Because, you know, we were definitely the kinds of people in that band that were like, you know, those bands like that, look at that, you know, band photo. It's so fucking cliche or look at that, whatever, like, and just, yep. you know, mo- you know, we wanted to be like, we just wanted to be, 
whether we did it or not, we were trying to be a step ahead of some of those things and, and wanted to do with what we, you know, we wanted to be something that like we could look back on and go, you know, we're proud of these records, right. whether that was looking back six months later or 20 years later or what have yeah. you, you know? Yeah. And so. I think it, it does, it shows in the music because in first hearing six going on seven, there was a level of maturity to your songwriting <laughs> that a lot of your peers, not that they weren't, I mean, these were bands that we all liked, but like there was a level of maturity to your songwriting and there was a, there was a pop sensibility to your songwriting that, you know, whereas other people were, you know, you think of a band and you're like, Oh yeah, they're real catchy. They're real poppy. No, six going on seven understood this, the melody and the sensibility of writing something that was melodic and had this hook and had something that was instantly like, it, it was, there was something always so familiar with your records. Oh, well, that's cool. I mean, I, I, and, and I think, you know, that scene we were in, like you were saying, it was a very weird, you know, but there was yeah. like, we had, um, it was funny to me, it, you know, even more so now, because I think about Portland was kind of like this in a time. And then Boston, I remember at one point thinking, it's so funny. There's so many clubs here. There's mm-hmm. so many places to play. And in Portland, it, it seemed like there were like two or three, at least right. that I, that I could get into at the time, right. you know, uh, versus, you know, like national acts or what have you. And in Boston, I felt like they're so spoiled for choice. There's like 20 clubs and you can have a hardcore show here. And if you want to have like a, like a power violence only show here, you can get that, you know, you whereas in it. Portland, it would have been, we would have been on the bill with whatever, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, um, but when I look back on it now, you know, we had like, um, like cave-in or, you know, like mm-hmm. cave-in was, was right on the cusp of, you know, making maybe Jupiter or something like that. Right. Something that, you know, sort of changed their, the people's perception of them. And then right. my roommate, Brian, um, and Jay, they were in Milltown, this band that was, you know, that has Jonah from Only Living Witness. Yes. And, and we loved them. And there were, there were lots of, um, there were lots of great bands that, and what I appreciated the most is that, I can say that those three bands, while, while we all have, you know, there's some continuity in maybe the time we existed and our our degrees of Kevin Bacon and what have you, like, yeah. we all sounded like we sounded. We could play on the same bill, but I don't feel like it was like, oh, they want, you know, they're a Milltown ripoff band or they're a right. Caden, you know what I mean? Like, we had yeah. we had our own unique identities and and that was a, you know, that's a cool thing. I appreciate that about those bands you yeah. know, and about our peers. And they're I'm always going to forget there's a million more bands that were great. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know and, I mean? Yes. But. And I just like in that time period too, that late nineties, early two thousands, like right away, I, you know, you guys, you mentioned cave in, you mentioned Milltown, uh, the explosion, the explosion. Uh, yes. Let me, let me, yeah. me horn shoe this in here because this Please? is my friend, Sam, who was the guitar player and writer in the trouble. Mm-hmm. And the guitar player and writer for a lot of the explosion before he left yeah. is a hands down one of the best songwriters that is unheralded because he just lives in Toronto with his daughter and his wife. And he's just sort of a chill, no <laughs> ego guy. Yeah. He fucking sends me stuff. So we're trying to do this thing. We've been trying to do it off and on for a few years now. Yeah. He writes incredible songs like you know when you when you think of like the punk guy that's like the punk guy that's now he's discovered bruce springsteen so he's gonna strap on an acoustic <laughs> and he's gonna tour and open up for chuck reagan right yep. you know yep. you know there's a million of those guys the right? gaslight anthem and, 
<laughs> okay, there, yeah, there's yeah. there's that guy Brian yeah. or yeah, yeah Brian yeah. So yeah. There's that I don't know him, but I know the band. Yep. There's a lot of that stuff at varying degrees of um, aptitude, right? Yes. Yeah. But it's all sort of again, it's all shoved in the same category. Like this is all great, you know. Like you're you're 20 and you're hearing that and you're like, oh, this is all you know. It's amazing, and all seven bands are playing on a bill together or whatever. Right. Like in terms of straight objective songwriting, Sam is heads above a, a lot of that stuff and i own i have no dog in this fight i just uh it's you just, just think he's really good that yeah I, that i i love him and and yeah. it, it's funny and i hope he uh i hope we get to do something but i also hope not so selfishly that he just uh puts out some of you know some of his own stuff because right. i he, lyrically he's great it's just like you know he'll send me stuff like i don't know what you think about this idea i'm not so you know and i'll hear it and be like fuck sam dude what are you doing <laughs> like record it already and put it out anyway <laughs> That's yeah, sorry about the tangent. No, no, I, I don't to, uh, don't be because I am a massive fan of the explosion and yeah, uh, like literally like one of their songs played uh, there like when my wife and I got married they did like a slideshow for our uh, our um, reception or whatever and uh, sure. and uh, during this this slideshow they put a bunch of music together and there was an explosion song on there because we both liked the explosion so oh, they, they got a special great. place in my heart based on that but you oh, there's, those, those guys are characters too man for sure awesome band like they were the right band at the right time i guess like for what they were doing like because there's a million other fucking bands that do that you know it wasn't yeah. like it wasn't they like they'd it. come up with a new idea they just did it really fucking well <laughs> they did it really well and they were smart in that it was the stuff was hooky yeah um, it was hooky and it had the right aesthetic and the whole the, it was the package deal yes like there was absolutely. there was nothing to be there was nothing to be cultivated it was just like right. this is done like it yeah. is you know this meal is cooked. Let's, Absolutely. Let's it, it came ready. It was like out of the box ready. I agree. Right. And, and I don't want to move past this because you mentioned a band that no one ever brings up in Milltown. That, oh, yeah. that, that EP is, uh, I think, did Hydra head put it out? It did. It did. That, yeah. that is so fucking good. Like, I, I don't know like why it didn't, hook on with people I, i'm not sure like why it didn't explode like it sounds like something that should have been big to me at, or at the time to me but holy shit sure. there's some good songs on that thing um they're all right on that i mean that, on that yeah. i think there's one cover maybe but um and this so. is yeah i think there's uh isn't there a cure cover like jumping someone else's train or uh, something? yeah there might be yeah like that, or maybe that was on a compilation they they basically did that ep and then they demoed stuff yeah. And then they got signed to, you know, Warner Brothers or Giant or whatever, whatever it was. And and I was living with trying to think. I was living with Brian and Jay at the time, I think, okay. that they that they got on that, yeah. you know, because I live with them both at the same time and at different times. So I'm <laughs> my my math is not always so good. But sure. um anyway, they were definitely a band that I thought um fairly objectively, I thought like this is the band of people I know that's yeah. going to be the band that, you know, because it was just great rock and roll. Now, having said that the music industry, as you well know, is just a wacky, it's a strange bird yeah. and why things become popular. There's plenty. Of, I mean, let me just lay the, lay the groundwork here yeah. to say that at one point, Limp Biscuit was the biggest band in the world for a moment. Great. Okay? Great. So point. say yep. no more about people's taste, you know, like no, yep. no, nothing Nothing wrong with Limp Biscuit, but I mean, like the uh, biggest band <laughs> in the world. You know what I mean? Like, right, I just yeah, yeah. It's if, uh, it, it's such a like, 
uh, as uh, as my friend Vince Averill always says, subjective art form. And the problem with that subject subjectivity to art is there is the business side of it that like. I think that's something I that keeps coming up on this pod on the podcast too is all of you guys that I sit down and talk to, I have a chip on my shoulder because I saw all of your bands as like they should be fucking huge. <laughs> There's and it made me resentful of people for not realizing the how great these bands are. And that's I mean, that's a you know, that's just me like compl- it's not no, just you, know. you, man, because I have a chip on my shoulder too. <laughs> Rightfully <laughs> so. No, but I mean, like, to the degree that I that I always feel like, you know, coming out of Portland and certainly like when I came out of Portland and, and went yeah. to... Yeah, and then go to Boston. Coast, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew one person. I literally knew one person. I knew Will. Yeah. I moved there. I moved there and he goes, yeah, I have a friend. And I moved there to play music. We were going to yeah. play in a band. And I knew he was great and we loved a lot of the same stuff. And I was like, we can do stuff together. We've already played together. His yeah. personality is so solid. We'll, you know, we'll do this. And then he goes, yeah, I work with this guy in the deli, James, and he's, he's a, he's a pretty good guitar player. And that was literally the trajectory of, of that stuff happening. Yeah. That's how six going on seven forms is. It's is, beautiful. I wish it was a, a sexier story, but there you have it. You no, know? I mean, I think sometimes that's, you just got to work in the deli at the right time. Exactly. And, or we have to know someone that works in the deli at the right time. Right. There you go. Right. Yes, There's your vantage exactly. point. There's, um, the the first thing I remember hearing is Portsmouth. Yeah, yeah. And the uh and I'm sure you've heard this before. Uh Maybe. your your lyrics, like you clearly like I, I I don't know, like it's just it was always in you, is how these things happen, but your lyrics are the first thing I think of when I think of six going on seven. Because they oh, that's are, cool, man. I, I mean I love it definitely, to me, it's, again, it's like that combination of yes. those things and the way we all play together allow for that to be, mm-hmm. you know, a thing. But in terms of, like, writing, like, I, um, in in conjunction with punk rock, yeah, you know, at the same time, I was yeah. super into um, rap, nay, hip-hop, yep. <laughs> uh, yep. you know, Run DMC, LL Cool J, Eric B., Public Enemy was the first band that I was like, whoa, like, yeah. whoa, this, I loved, cause I love the bomb squad. I still of course, love like, sure. I still love like found sound stuff. So like later stuff, like ARE weapons and stuff that's like, you know, a lot of like no wave sort of that adopt that same sort of thing where they take, you know, a car running over the median and use it as the rhythm track to do, to do, to do like that sort of thing. That shit blows my mind. I love it. Like that to me is like the, the, you know, why music is cool, but I guess lyrically, I love the delivery, the cadence of a lot of the hip hop people. And I definitely like in my teen years, like was, I started like when I wrote lyrics, it made sense to me. Like those, those, uh, the those cadences and the, the, and movement. the, yeah. the movement. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. even though I don't think it sounds like that necessarily, that's no. definitely a big influence. And in I love pocket. I love pocket and nothing, you know, there's some next level lyricist guys that I like look up to and listen to where they'll rhyme words with the same word where I'm like, Oh, I, I can't get away with that. But that person can, you know, yes, like, yeah. or like weird little um, terms of phrases, you know, you know, all different rhyme schemes for right. lack of a better yeah. Yeah. description. Um, but yeah, man, I, I love writing in general. I don't do it nearly as much now as I used to because sure. of time constraints, sure. but I do it. Um, I would love to, 
like write a write a short stories book at some point or write a sort of like you know um free form like lyrics and collected writing sort of thing because right, that's right. how much i love that stuff whether I, whether i'm good enough or not is is another <laughs> well another i i can tell you as as somebody who like it wasn't you weren't just writing from from the perspective of a fan you weren't it doesn't just sound like a guy writing uh, it doesn't sound like a broken heart necessarily you, right. you always told a story you didn't you and I, I think you'll understand what I, I mean by this. I want to make sure I say it right. You didn't use too many words. You used the right, right. amount. Like you were always using, you were speaking deliberately and you were writing deliberately and, and phrasing deliberately where it didn't feel like you were cramming a bunch Very of shit in. into, yeah, into one, you know, one phrase of a verse. And that way, like as a listener, like you can connect to that story a hell of a lot easier that way. That's cool, man. And Portsmouth, you know, like not a lot of things are in writing. I mean, I'm sure of all the interviews you've done and all the people, they're sort of like composite characters. They're, you know, like they're a combination of reality and sort of artistic license or artistic latitude or whatever. But that particular song is funny because Portsmouth is the name of the street that I grew up on in North Portland. And that is about a girl that I dated that was kind of like one of my first loves or my first love. Right. And sort of circling back to that area st john's yeah. bridge is st john's bridge um cathedral park pier is is that like the park underneath st john's bridge so i love that god those are great. those are those are real <laughs> like real monument like real yeah. geographic places you know um so that's anyway. what that's kind of what i wanted to know like it, just using that as an example like um like i remember here like when i hear songs like ohio by damian gerardo Mm-hmm. Like uh, listening to the way he's explaining stuff and then be like, wait, is he, isn't he in like the Seattle area? Do they have that stuff that, you know, like I, you know, I'm trying to like right. map out the, the honesty in it. And I like knowing that, uh, that, that Portsmouth has like legitimate, like these are real places. This was a real location that is a part of my yeah. life. Yeah. You know, like all those things. I mean, you know, if songs are written in sort of short order, you know, the, the compacted environment that you pen out like a 10 song or nine song record or whatever, typically there's a theme in it, whether that's um, immediately obvious or not, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That record definitely has, that's the, that, that was like the, the tone of that record I feel like is like melancholy as opposed to sad necessarily. Yes. Yes, You know, whereas the verse, the first record is a little angrier a little more, you know, I mean, they're both, they're, they're both relevant to me in, in some way in the time of my life. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> but different, different in that regard. You right. Know? And that, so with that, like, how do you guys get to that first record? So you're like, you're playing, you're, you're in Boston, you're, you're honing yeah. these songs, you're crafting these songs, you're out playing. Like, did you, because the first record's on some the first and the second record, both. The only record that's not is the third one. On is the third one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, cool. So there that we've got those first two that are on some, how did that all come to be? Um, you know, again, like th- this is my, my, my timelines might not be totally accurate, but yeah. the gist of it was we, um, we had recorded. So I'm trying to think we recorded 
two or three demos prior to the Hydrahead 7-inch. Okay. And okay. we recorded those mostly because we enjoyed just getting in the studio and doing stuff. And this is before I met Brian McTurnan, before any of that. Sure. So we re- recorded, um, I was looking at a couple of these demos, and I think we might have like, geez, man, like nine songs in the neighborhood of that never came out on anything that are not re yes yes it might be a few less but at over five for sure that wow. never came out on anything else and then we did a demo and james was going to put out a seven inch we, he was going to like he had some money that okay. he was going to he was like we'll, we'll pull our resources and we'll put out yep. this 45 ourselves and somehow in that mix somebody from some got a hold of it and then they okay. said uh, um do you want to um excuse me I'm again, my, my timeline screwed. You're good. Prior to that demo, something, um, how did this happen? I think we had the demo and James was going to put it out and then somebody got a hold of it and Hydrahead got interested and okay. we recorded method actor with Brian McKinnon. Yep. And that was the beginning of that sort of fruitful relationship, you know, yeah. um, friendship and sonically. And then, um, Sometime after that first 45, I think that we were just, we were entertaining, like, what should we do next? Should we put out something ourselves next? Because we we had a record pretty much ready, but we weren't sure if we want to do a record or let's do another couple songs and then see what else we write, you know? And somehow the something came in the mix and the combination of people was just too, the timing was perfect. And the people, you know, they, they, uh, if I remember correctly, Walter and Sammy maybe like took the train up to like hang out, like that sort of thing. And to me, in my again, like you know, living in Portland and you know my my exposure to things being sort of poison idea, but then also seeing like quicksand on 120 minutes, you know, me being yeah. like, this is yeah. cool, you know. And and I um and I've been friends with those guys now for years, but it's um, at the time it was just, it was just a cool thing. And, and mostly as a, as an entry point, I liked that that band to me, I perceived as making art, you know, the, the yes. commerce, the commerce was like a sort of bonus, yeah. you know, yep. um, angle to them, you know? Um, so that was cool. And then the sort of like New York hardcore thing, you know, um, Sammy being in a million bands and then Matt Pincus, who was, <laughs> I think the big financial investor in the label and did a lot of organizational stuff. It's sort of like the A and R quote unquote, were like Sammy and Walter or Walter and Sammy. Yeah. And then Matt was sort of like involved as well, but a little more peripheral, a little more like I'll right. take care, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with the books. Sure. So it just seemed like the right timing and the right, uh, the right place for us to be. I don't think that they had, a lot of things on their plate in terms of what they were going to put out. Right. So we were just like, I think they offered like, let's do a seven inch. And we said, we're ready to do a record. And so we did self-made mess, you know, and that okay. was, yeah, that was it, you know, and, and that, we got uh go ahead. Sorry. You, then you're off to the races then at that point, like that, once that record's out, you're. Yeah, it was, it, we, we, uh, we had a couple ideas about where we were going to do it. We were real steadfast that we wanted to continue to work with Brian. So Brian was, you know, mm-hmm. Brian and us, you know, we were all, and, and at that point, I think I was living with Brian, maybe, maybe it was just prior to, but we were, we were friends outside of mm-hmm. recording. We were just buds and musical buds and like everything. Right. So, um, 
And I just knew that he would know what we were going for, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. I, I'm also a huge fan of like Discord stuff and he's a DC kid. So I liked that he would know like not to overdo certain things and, yes. you know, just sort of the energy we wanted to capture. And then Walter came back and he's like, Hey man, like I have this deal at a friend's studio in New Jersey. We can get, you know, a great rate and you guys will actually be able to stay there and do this and whatever. So we said, we said yes. And, uh, we ended up going to New Jersey in, um, I, I can't remember the name of the town, but it's a little like sort of podunk town in New Jersey that, um, and it was Dave, the snake Sabo from Skid Row's house. So no shit. Self-made mess was recorded at Dave Sabo's house, um, which is one of those like funny anecdotal things. I'm yeah. not sure I told anybody that will listen, but it's, it's still funny to me <laughs> even now, you know, um, because like I said, I grew up in the land of, uh, muscle cars and metal and yeah. like ice hockey in, in North Portland. That's just like, yeah, so I, I was well aware of Skid Row. Yeah, you heard your fair share of us. Uh, plenty of Skid Row, you know, and, yeah. uh, anyway, it was funny. So when we got there, we, when we got there, we, we had a, like a nothing budget as you know, which is why we're at this studio that he can, I think, I think that maybe Walter shared management with Skid Row, which okay. at that point was no longer, was well past ba- Sebastian Bach Skid Row. It was like yeah. whoever they had filling the in. Dude you know? was that took over, yeah. Some dude from The Voice or something, right? <laughs> yeah. So we go, and the entry to their their house or his apartment, or excuse me, what am I saying? The entry to Dave's house and the sort of like apartment place we're staying in, which is underneath the house. We yeah. went in the garage, and the garage is like all of Skid Row's gear a million drums, amps everywhere. Wow. Like the garage is unusable. It's completely just gear. Yeah. We went through there and then we're in the control room and then you'd go beyond the control room and there was like a little lounge area with like a foosball table and a microwave and a mm-hmm. TV or what have you. Yeah. And that's where we stayed. I actually slept in the control room underneath the board, the entire recording of uh, self-made mess. Cause I just didn't want to be in the next room. I just wanted to be in the mix. Like yeah. we'd record and we'd do whatever. And then I would lay my sleeping bag out and go to bed <laughs> underneath right. the board. Um, and we, we were told not to go upstairs. That's Dave's house. Like he, you know, but like maybe day two, he kind of snuck down and was like, what's going on? Like I'm Dave. Like, how's it going? And like, like sort of bopped his head at the board. And then they became, you know, we all became friends or friendly. Oh, yeah. And when I did vocals for that record, Dave took Will and James out on the town and they just shot pool and, you know, drank and did whatever. That's so cool. And, you know, they came back and then we had like a barbecue on his porch, you know, one night yeah. and stuff. It was, but, um, the tape machine broke multiple times during self-made mess. So a lot of the vocal sound you're getting, people would get pissed later on and, you know, like heartbreaks got back, be like, Oh, you're singing different and this and that. I'd be like, no, mm-hmm. the tape machine broke. And I had like, whatever it was like 11 hours to track vocals for 11 songs. Like I, there was a crazy, it was like a day in you know, to go through all these songs at the point when it happened. So some of it's the grit that I had been carrying over from my love of Portland stuff and my like, you know, Understood, conversion yeah. in that. And then yeah. the other, the other half was like, your voice is shot. In fact, yeah. I had to, uh, I, it was so bad at one point that Dave was like, Hey, let's just get into Sebastian's road case. Like he's never coming back for this thing and opened that up and gave me this <laughs> throat spray <laughs> called performer's secret that I used through all the self-made mess. So there's my degree <laughs> of 
degree of Kevin Bacon with Sebastian Bach is that oh man, his throat spray <laughs> to get through the vocal process. It's, and oh, and one more good one. This is one yeah, more. Yeah, no, these are awesome <laughs> metal thing. Um, the snare that was used on Self Made Mess is the snare from the on the whole record is the snare from November Rain. That what? Um, that one of the guys in Skid Row had bought from uh, Matt Sorum, maybe. Holy anyway, shit. Yeah. So it's, I think it's called a black beauty. I'm my drum, my drum knowledge is, is mm-hmm. not really good, but uh, a drummer can tell you if this is it, but sure. Anyway. And I would call bullshit. You know, you hear that stuff every studio you go and you're like, Oh, this is the studio. You know, this is the album, you know, the whatever, you know, like <laughs> yeah. Don Scott loved this. Right. Board, right. Like, you yeah. hear that yeah. shit, you know, constantly had I not been in a room with, those guys, you know, right. and members of Skid Row would come over like during the recording. I mean, we'd go upstairs and it'd be like the keyboard player with the crazy, like frizzy hair that's in uh, Bon Jovi was over there. He's the, the guy that's still in Bon Jovi, who's he's friends because all the New Jersey guys hang of out. Course, of course, of course. Okay. So Bruce Springsteen and Dave Sabo and the guys in Bon Jovi all know each other and all hang out because. He, Dave was going over to watch a boxing match at John Bon Jovi's house during the recording of Self-Made Mess. What the <laughs> so fuck? I just felt like I was like, <laughs> am I on like Headbangers Ball here? Or right, like, or right. Whatever, or like metal, whatever. Like, anyway, silly, but. That is funny. wild. And it's so and, funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, know each other too. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like. That was probably again like a fairly organic trajectory because I think those guys were all in sort of like bands playing like the Stone Pony or whatever. They all sort of like of came course, up yep, got yeah. signed to major labels at the same time and all had varying degrees of success, but fairly successful. On yeah, the whole, yeah, you know? million selling bands, all of them. You know, that's for true. For worse, yeah, and it, it, it's a, it's not like it's a massive community. You know, I mean, when you say you're selling a million records, like you're kind of in a you're in a different fucking tax bracket after that, man. anymore, man, especially too. You know what oh I mean? Oh my God. Like, I mean, yeah. Who, I mean, I can't think of, you know, I try to think of like, you know, you can do like Dua Lipa or whatever, you know, right, like an, right. any, yeah, any, yeah, yeah. Any sort of like any sort of contemporary, like single or, you know, Billie Eilish might be somebody that's, you know, or like Taylor Swift that has had multiple ones right. like that. Yeah. But most of them, they have like one tune that's like knocking it out of the park and maybe, maybe they get a second record. So it's right. almost like back, we're almost back in a different era again. Oh, there's no, sure. like, you really think you're going to hear like, you know, I don't know from certain people. I, I just, there's no way they're getting an album four or five. Right. There's just, no, there's, there's no and way. Other ones for sure. You know, because yeah. ultimately if it's about songwriting, whatever the current trends are may not, you know, they may temper things, but ultimately they'll survive. Yeah. And it's funny too, when you think of it in the context of like, just like in punk rock, like think about how many of the most iconic bands had one record, <laughs> you know, that are just like, they were one record right. and, and they weren't meant to last, you know, like I, okay. I so, so t- circling back to the Milltown thing, I think yes. there's, I think there's some truth to that. I think it's, you know, it, it's again, we're going to employ a cliche, but it's like the lightning in a bottle thing. Absolutely. Those guys had a lot of, I know, I know the, you know, from my outsider vantage point, but I live with two of them Mm -hmm. and I love Jonah and I love Rob and I love Jay and Brian. And, you know, like, I don't really know Matt as well, but like, I knew them all basically. Sure. That's like personalities. That's like the side of a magnet that goes like this, right? Entire band's trajectory is just like, 
yeah. you know, yep. and when they got it, you know, they, they had to capture that shit stack and they did. And then they got to a point where like, you know, all, I think a lot of label stuff screwed them up too, but like, of course, there's yeah. something really valid to me about that also, you know, like I, in retrospect, there are things that I like about the third six going on seven record, but we had, we gone one way, we would have got album three done quicker and more to my liking had okay. we gone, you know, but th- there's a lot of, there's a lot to be said for that. Most bands have two good records in them. You know, there's a few, I, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, there are bands that have, you know, there are bands that have five good records in them, but I will say this of those bands, most of those bands that have five records in them have made 17 records. They haven't That's made the five records. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It might take them a while to circle back to that like initial thing or like get the right producer or the, you know, somebody not going like, ah, you know, this needs another chorus. Right. It's like, you know, where were you before? Like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? And I like, I, I always use the band. Uh, I always use that band handsome as an example. When you talk yeah. about, so I, you know, talk with friends about like, who are the bands that had one record and it was so good. And that's one I always reference. Cause that album is, I just can't believe how good it is. And you're like, man, what if, well, you don't know that there was a, what if, you know, some things are too combustible. Yeah. And, and I think that there's, um, you know, I know that record, not super well, but I'm, you know, but I, yeah. but I know Tom, Tom's the one that I know out of that. Band oh, from okay. The Quicksand connection. Yep. Of course. Um, but yeah, man, for sure. Like there are elements of, there's just like timely stuff where they got together and they wrote a record at a time and had right. they written different time, you know, they fall into that whole thing where, you know, it, it's connected to burn and quicksand and orange nine millimeter yep. and all those bands. And I think they distinguish themselves in some ways on that record and also fall into that thing that if you're not closely watching, you might miss it. Right. You know, yep. but you're right. There's, I mean, that's, and that is sort of like the secret sauce of things where you have like that record that you like, I like this record and it's a shame that not 10 million people like it, but maybe it makes me like it a little more. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. Not in a way where you don't want people to hear it, but just like it, it, it makes it special. Like, yes. I don't know. There's something cool. You know, one of the things that I always talk about with six going on seven, or I don't always talk about it. Let me, I think about it is we've been asked multiple times to do like, you know, little, like play a show here, you know, do this sort of thing. And my caveat has always been if James and Will and I got in a room and wrote another seven inch, like two songs or three songs and put new material out, I'd be happy to play a show that was sort of like a a show after that. That would be my thing because that's all I have in my art life is the reputation of those things. Absolutely. And I, the last thing I want to do is like, sure, I could get paid better than I <laughs> we got paid before to right. do a few, you know, like a handful of things. But like, ultimately, if it becomes this thing where people are like, why did they ever do it? You know? Yeah. Or what are your intentions? You know, like, especially if you're not making new music, especially if you're not yeah. doing new things, I feel like it's, um, there are bands that I love who I listen to their records like all the time, like classic bands, like, you know, Rolling Stones. For, of course. For, yeah. I love, I love so many Rolling Stones songs. I don't think I could see them live. I'm sure they're great. That makes but sense. Yep. I missed that. I missed that boat by like yep. when, you know, like by where, where I was at certain times, would I have seen them in my lifetime? Of course, but I missed right. that boat entirely Sure, for the most part. And I don't, you know, sure. They'd be like together, 
mm-hmm. I'm sure they'd sound pro, but is it the Rolling Stones? Like no. at, at yep. 80, probably like, no, like it's a, it's the, it's the, you know, the freaking cash cow lap. Absolutely. You know? It is like, there's, there's a, like, like right now when I see all these festivals that are, are, are now resurfacing, rescheduling, and you're seeing these lineups right. and I, it's cool to see these bands. Like it, you see bands that are like, uh, like still making music. Like whenever I see Sam, I am going back out. Sam, right. I am will always put something out. So like mm-hmm. you're saying, like there's always something to promote, but then you'll see these bands that are like, they haven't released an album in you know 15 years. So, so that's right. the last thing we know of them. And I, like, it, it is a victory. It's you're playing the greatest hits rather than like, right. well, this is what we did. Do we want to, do we want to do some more of it and also play those old songs, but do more of what, what people knew us for. And, and that's also, you know, like no, you know, no harm, no foul. It's just, it's just a personal decision. Some of those bands, you know, they, they didn't get the recognition or they felt like, you know, or, or they, now they can get, you know, a lot of them did get the recognition We're bigger oh, bands, sure. six, one, yeah. and seven. And now they're like, we're going to play our iconic album. But it's like, sometimes I'm like, yo, you know, like you're in your early to mid forties and you're playing, you know, you're playing these songs that are like a little, like just borderline. Like, I don't know, man, if I could, I don't know if I could like muster it up, you know, I might have to, (laughs) I might have to get some special sauce to like get out on stage and and do that. And do that one. Yep. But then there are bands like, you know, like, cave in converge that have been together yep. since high school. And those guys, yes. man, like, that's like, that's like a sick of it all or whatever. Like that's, that's a bad comparison, but I guess my point is just, those are bands that have been doing it for forever. And by my, for sure. by my, um, uh, you know, my opinion is they can do it as long as they want till they Absolutely. drop. Yes. And it's somehow it, it's okay because it yep. never ended. It didn't right. stop. You yeah. know what I mean? So they, they, they do, it's like a, you know, it's like a modern day version of like, neurosis or Godflesh or one of those bands that do, do these things that they just you know they they have a thing and they do it and they continue on you know i agree completely but yeah. some of the other stuff yeah man I, I just feel like you know we we would have to what i love about those guys is i love those guys and i loved making music with them right. so if we you know my, my dream scenario you know were we ever to do something like that that would be like get together right for a while record something new that we can give to people and then do something where we do like heartbreaks got backbeat front to back in yeah. a couple shows with a couple extra tunes. Yeah. That would be a great, you know, that'd be a great like swan song if we were ever to do it. My other path, my other like trajectory is we just, it's untouched. We just leave it alone and we continue on. Right. You right. Know? And either one of those is fine by me. Yeah. I've made my peace. <laughs> now, <laughs> you know? now has anybody, like, I'm sure people approach you guys about playing together again. Has anybody approached you guys about like re-releasing stuff or. I was actually dealing with the label that was going to do a gatefold LP of the first and second records. Oh. It was really cool. And the idea is still in the mix. It's just Good. that that guy ran out of money and then it kind of got put in the, ran out of money, not just for us, but for, multiple everything things. sure so um that's something i would like to do i would like to have like a proper reissue maybe with uh maybe with some liner notes and then that would be an opportunity for me to justify releasing maybe some of the demos digitally or doing something cool like that yeah, it's, yeah. it's like not everything but maybe something i feel like is worthy there's a song keepsake that we did on a demo that i feel like is i heard it for the first time in forever yeah. on a cassette right. <laughs> when i dragged it up from the basement along with some other stuff 
And I was like, man, this is good. Like this is, you know, it fits right in between self-made mess and heartbreaks kind of, and, and yeah. maybe a little bit in American, like it's got a, like a combination of, you know, when we were writing at a yes. pretty good clip. Yeah. And so anyway, that, yeah. and, and what's cool too, is I've seen like, you know, mentioning there's, there's, you know, it sounds like a decent amount of six going on seven songs that have never seen the light of day. And I've, right. I mean, you see what, you know, a label like Arctic rodeo has been doing and like yes, taking, yes. taking stuff like this and like, it, it obviously still like we've transitioned from that thing of like, I, I remember seeing like when you'd see these bands, like, like poison that would come back around and be able to pull off like an arena tour, their fan right. base had, had grown up and had some money to spend. Right. And our version of that is happening to a degree where it's like, yeah, man, I want to buy that record. Absolutely. And, and, you know, like classic rock radio is now, yeah, classic Dude. rock radio is now yeah. it's just a real thing because i i heard this discussion on some podcast i was listening to i listen to a lot of podcasts so this is good good uh, and uh <laughs> i don't remember what it was but it was effectively like how is it that classic rock went from being uh you know classic rock was an era and yes. now it's a genre yeah yep so now we can shoehorn in black hole sun along with Sweet Home Alabama, <laughs> even though they're <laughs> however many years apart. Right, whatever. Right. It's so surreal, you know. And I don't love all those songs, but I, you know, but I, it's still, it's, but it's funny. Yeah, Weird. I, I put, uh, I put repeater on Fugazi repeater on the sure. LP yeah. on last night. We were just out in the living room. Like my wife was doing yoga. I wasn't doing anything. I'm like, I'm gonna put that on, and I'm sitting there listening to it, and. Uh, it occurred to me, I'm like, this record's not that old. And I look, I'm like, no, all of these records I have are really fucking old. It just doesn't. I look at it and go, that wasn't that long ago. Like, you guys seem like you, like, six going on seven, that wasn't that long ago. But if oh, I man, say it to my teenage son, he's like, what? No, that's so long ago, Dad. I wasn't born. 2001, Wes. I know. Last, was our last record in our <laughs> last show, which is 20 years ago for not our first record, but our last Your record. Last I think record. That sometimes and I'm like, that's so bizarre. But that yes. is the, that is sort of like the the uh, sweet, sweet, uh, you know, whatever it is. I, I think Jackson Brown has some line about like time to conquer or something. Yes. And that's, a, that's a well-worn that there's, there's a, I think it's called a Tempest. Uh, it's Latin, but it's like Tempest Edax Rerum or something, which I, I'm probably butchering it. So apologies in advance to all the Latin scholars listening to you. <laughs> oh, I'm uh, sure there's why tons we ever be? Well, plenty, plenty. <laughs> they all come here. This is their sort of, We're the source this, for it. This you is know. their true North. For, uh, <laughs> Anyway, but that effectively means something like time, which erodes all things or whatever. But um, anyway, I've read a bunch of interpretations of that and it's interesting, but it is funny how, as you get older, a week is just like, and a month is like, well, when I think of like, you know, booking time in January next year for a record at one point in time would have been like, oh, yeah, like so far out. And now I'm just like, that's going to be like we're in July in a week. Yes. And then boom and boom and and it goes. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, it's funny, man. Like, you know, it's in, in making stuff and doing stuff. The only thing that keeps me sane is just realizing that like it is so finite and it's so quick. And yeah, I feel like 
this, you know, like creating stuff with friends and making stuff, Mm -hmm. whatever it's perceived value is to people is definitely important to me. And I try to impress that on my kids too. I just say, you know, like whatever you want to do, do your best, learn everything you can about it, immerse yourself in it and go for it. And that's, and be a good person. Don't be a shithead. And outside of that, you know, that's kind of it. Like, you know, yeah. And that's the thing too, I think as parents, um, and I think I feel like it's something that uh, for all of us that kind of came up with a punk rock background, I think yeah. that isn't something we impress upon our own kids of like, if you're passionate about this, I will clear the path for you. My parents didn't stifle us. They were like, you know, my brother and I had bands. They were touring bands, staying at my parents' house all the time. They just yeah, they didn't yeah. bat an eye. But also they weren't like, they didn't fucking get it. You know, my old man wasn't listening to Jawbox with me, you know? Right, like, right. But like for me, for at least for my wife and I with our kids, it's a thing where like we know this, we understand that rabid passion. And yeah, we we can clear that path for that generation of like, what do you need? What do you need to pursue this passion? If you're not being an asshole, I'm gonna I'm gonna help you find it any way you can. And and you know, like your wife doing yoga and that sort of right, thing. Like any, right. any of those, any of those things, I feel like a lot of people that I know, you know, Adam is, you know, a barber. Like he right. you know, yeah, it's really, really hard. How, whatever your level of success or lack thereof, it's really hard to have that trajectory of kind of going, oh, I like that. I like this autonomy, and right. then going back to somebody going, ah, uh, Wes, could you put a collared shirt on, bud? You know, like whatever it is. And I'm right. just giving a real cliche sort of like you know B movie example, yep. but I but I, I think it. that that stuff is applicable, and I can't. You can't unlearn that. I can't mm-hmm. unlearn all the travel that I've, you know, incorporated over the course of my life and the right. incredible people I've met. And also the sort of like degrees of people that I meet through this, you know, community. Yeah. Ongoing, like years on, you know, I feel right. like we could have met, we could have met forever ago yes. and had the same conversation and been friends and, you know, Absolutely. we know multiple people that are the same people. And that's such a funny, I can't think of many worlds that are like that. No. Nope. You know? Yeah. So. It, it is a small world. How many, like, um, like it, I feel like everybody that I've had on as a guest, we like, there's, there's at least two or three mutual connections. Right. Ready. And it's kind of, which that's how small this world is as big as it is. like, uh, we're all, we're all six degrees, you know, six, you said six degrees, but we're all six degrees from Ian and, and Walter. That's how I see everybody under this yeah. umbrella. We're all six degrees from Ian or Walter in some way, shape or form. Yeah. It's, it's funny. There's a lot of, there's a lot of that stuff. And and even later in life, you know, like I, uh, I always was for like two years, I was collaborating with William Hurt, the actor on, I was writing music for a thing that we were doing together. And I met him at my work doing coffee at Whole Foods. Cause he came in all the time for like juices and this and that. And yeah. stuff. And we just like, we became friends and he knew that I made music. And at one point I was like, I, you know, I'll give you something if you're interested. And he's like, I'd love that. And I gave him a record and he came back into my work the next day just to tell me how much he liked it. And then we started working together. Holy shit. For like two years, we would have um, two plus years. Actually, we would have lunch together and write and work on all this stuff. And I wrote a few songs for this thing that's going to be um, those songs. There's a song Ada that I wrote. And then there's a song mm-hmm. that I had titled four one one nine eight four, which is uh, a reference to Marvin Gaye's um, Marvin Gaye when he died. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
anyway, the on April Fools, nineteen ninety four, and uh, a couple of those songs will be on the next solo record because those are finished. But needless to say, we got off track because of a lot of things, some health concerns on his end that had nothing to do with our friendship, whatever. Yeah. But like meeting that person later on. I had all this backstory. We had all these like mutual connections and here's somebody that's, you know, wildly successful and I'm nobody, but we connected on that same trajectory of making stuff and we spoke the same language, you know? Yes. Yeah. And I think that that is where I, I've been in so many weird worlds of like, you know, music, independent film, hell, even like that crossed over into like getting to know like independent professional wrestlers you know, yeah, like, yeah. I know you're a big. Uh, was it New New Japan? New Japan, yeah. Oh, yes, I saw. I think I saw a hoodie of yours and something. Oh, and I was like, probably, ah. yeah. Um, so, like, yeah. all of these people, all of these small worlds, right? Uh-huh. They all converge with each other, and they because they're all performers, everybody's a performer. To, and on, on, we have this base level where, like, people don't think of you know. They, I think people's brains using pro wrestling as an example. Your brain always thinks of like the Hulk Hogan's or the Rocks of the world. Right. There's these right. dudes that are these these young guys. These there a lot. There's a lot of guys with a punk rock background and women that are that are out there like doing the same thing. And it's their art form. They're in a fucking car together, going from some shithole town to the next shithole town. Secondary venues, secondary venues, grinding it out. Indie film, the same way. These guys are like, we have, you know, you ramshackle a crew. I know how to edit. We're making a fucking movie. Like it's, it's that. And like you and William Hurt may not see you. You look at that and go, how the fuck does that work? It just does because at, at, at a base level, we can all connect with each other on creating something and being caring and being passionate about what we're creating. Yeah. And, you know, like when we had that time together, which is sort of like how I look at it now, like his whole, he taught me so much about like, you know, per like sort of, he gave me a kick in the ass to sort of like continue down this path. It's not like I wasn't doing it before we met and became friends, but like he definitely perceives things in a way that I appreciate and being, you know, I think he's late sixties, early seventies or whatever, like his, his age, it's like, okay, here, you can do this this can be your course in life, you know, and you can choose to do these, you can make these choices and do these things. And at the end of the day, that's, you know, what else do you have? Right. 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 Yeah. It's like, if we are, you know, uh, there's a really good John Waters quote about, you know, what, what is life without obsession or something along those lines. And, uh and we are all obsessed with these things we make and we involve ourselves and we wouldn't spend the time, that we spend in these worlds if we weren't obsessed with what we were doing. Sure. Sure. And there's so much, um, there's so much in the way of like film and podcasts and yes. art and music and stuff that I don't have time for all of it, but I try yeah. to make time. Like I, I have time for it, like in a giant stack by my bed. <laughs> oh, I'm the same way. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But that's a good way to be too. You know, and that's a good sure. thing for your kids to see, to see, yes. you know, just yeah. sort of like, voracious and like going for it you know like rather than like the worst the worst thing no matter what your passion is to just be like to get to a point where you've decided like okay now it's time to get serious yes yep (laughs) now it's time to grow up right and my son is is right adjacent me and he's trying to write me a note about (laughs) what did you what did you need my kids do the same (laughs) i'm doing a podcast but i can answer your question yes absolutely what what 
Okay, well, I don't know about that right now. Okay, can we wait till this is done? Okay. All right. Taken care of. Thanks, Wes. Uh, I appreciate your uh, to, to always very relevant and, and you know like something that cannot wait. <laughs> yes, I my falls in that category. My eight year old daughter will usually like she'll either try and make herself seen, you know, she'll duck in to try and make herself visible. On oh camera, yeah. Okay. Or uh, or she'll be trying to whisper something at me while I'm talking to who's while you have your earphones in and you're trying to yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's great. No, they, they, it's, it's the, the joys of parenthood, <laughs> which is a um, great thing. So, uh, to, so I want to, I don't make sure I don't want to miss this. And I'm, we went at all over the place. I hope you're cool with that. We've kind of, been absolutely, man. Yeah. Okay, this is, good. this is just a conversation. You, you know, good. I'm happy to, happy to have it. So, um, so you've been continuously releasing solo material as, as you'd said, six going on seven ends in 2001, Right. And then there was a gap. There was a gap There's, for sure. How many years is that in there? A depressed, a depressed gap. Understood. I, uh, yeah. So yeah. the band, when the band ended, I really, you know, I mean, again, probably well-worn cliche, but like I was, it was everything, you know, all my eggs in that basket and not necessarily eggs in the basket of the band, but at the time it seemed like the band, but ultimately sure. it, was, it was music. Yes. You know, so I demoed some sad sack fucking songs after, <laughs> after, after that on four tracks in my, in my then girlfriend's apartment. I'm sure you're like, you know, discontent. Just, I just couldn't, like, I think I was really trying to make it a certain thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, at some point after that, I'm trying to think of what the next thing was that I did. I was in New York and I was, and I did a little projecty thing. I was living with Alan Cage in Harlem okay. and I was there for a, a couple years working a job already my uh, from St. Dyson yeah. and, and uh, got me a job at the place he was working at I was just spinning my wheels trying to think of like what was next I really want I played with a couple I played bass in a couple bands that were signed to big labels but were like in development deals like these mm-hmm. really awkward things where I go to a practice space in Brooklyn and play along to these bad bad like sort of fake Coldplay songs and sure i did that for a little bit but i was working at this place photonica and uh with Artie and a couple other people um that are in a small circle that we know yeah. this guy brian and a couple anyway we uh and then at some point i was dealing with my friend um arun who um lived in detroit for a long time grew up in detroit was in detroit most of his life and mm-hmm. he's now in nashville doing stuff and we decided to work on these ideas that we'd had for a while. So we did these songs under the moniker Pale Throats. And we record, uh, re- released a song called, well, we actually didn't release, we only released one song. It's called A Whole Lot and Not a Little. And it's on a compilation <laughs> in, um, not it came from Massachusetts. I can't remember. It was Lonesome Recordings. It was like this compilation. Okay. But that was my, that was with Rodrigo and Arun and this guy, Brett Fortangelo who's the son of the percussionist in P-Funk. So we, oh. when we rehearsed, when we rehearsed in the, uh, Larry Fertangelo, who yeah. now I believe plays with Kid Rock, for whatever that's worth. Um, um, yeah. It's worth something, right? It's worth, oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's worth something to be, to be determined. Uh, but Larry, I got a Kid Rock story for you after we're done recording. Oh, amazing. I mean, <laughs> I, I, so it, that's the Detroit connection, because there's this weird Detroit connection. So Larry Fertangelo played... Uh, um, percussion in P-Funk, yeah. one iteration of it. Yeah. The, the rehearsal space that we recorded, or that we did all our practicing in for the Pale Throat stuff, has a big P-Funk flag on the ceiling, which was yeah. super crazy. Yeah. And then Brett, his son, 
was this like wild guy who was in and out of all sorts of things, like a sure. total crazy man. Yeah. Again, we had him for a moment. We did that thing. <laughs> um, we recorded the song "Sex with the Lights On," a whole not a lot, whole not not a little, not a little, and those were the two tunes that we had. And we had a bunch more, um, and only one came out. But that was a those guys were great, man. Those guys yeah. were great live. Brett is one of those guys that's sort of a savant drummer where you, he can't like you don't know if he's going to show up or not show up. Is he is he even coming today? Yeah, when he comes. He's great, and he can he never plays the song the same twice, mm-hmm. but he's great most of the times. Yes. Um, so that was, I did that. That was like a stopgap thing. And yeah. then I had, then I was getting ready to try to do solo stuff. And Mike Porman, who's in Hot Rod Circuit, who was another yeah. one of my roommates, um, had somehow he'd gotten word that the guys from Snapcase were looking for a singer in this band called Ourselves, is what they titled it. And they had these demos and I got them. I think I got them through Mike or maybe I got his, Mike gave me one of those guys' emails and we corresponded that way. Yeah. Um, and I got those demos and I was singing over them in the apartment I was in in Boston at the time. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of it was really good, but just not me. Like I couldn't find my, it was too yep. like, you know, too sort of post hardcore. I don't know. Like it was just, yep. it wasn't the right. I understand completely my, what you're saying for yeah. my uh, vocals. So, yeah. but I liked the guys, we talked a bunch and then it became the sort of thing where, um, I ended up moving to Buffalo mm-hmm. Um, to do this band we called attractive um and we did it for we did a five song no a three song ep three song single um and played a bunch of shows actually in short order got signed Mm -hmm. to this man uh booking company stormy shepherd who books like rancid and all these bands we're gonna do and then uh we were on the trajectory to do these things but it all happened super fast in the course of like you know, eight months or whatever. Yeah. And then Frank, the guitar player at the last minute was like, uh, I can't do this again. I got to go back to work at the Apple store <laughs> and quit the band. <laughs> and we were like, shit, you know, like, what do we do now? So the two things that happened between trouble none, which is my first record and American, which was the last six going second. Yeah. What was that pale throats and attractive? Um, okay. Both of which I'm proud of. And those were cool moments. They just, you know, they're, they're, they last or they don't last. Right. You know? Right. And so you've, you've continued then you, you found your own way releasing quite a bit of solo material. And I, what I like about, <laughs> it's really funny. Like there are bands like six going on seven or something. Like I could play for my wife and she'd be like, yeah, right. I like this, right. you know, like I'm not going to put on, you know, like, you know, think of anything like she's not going to she never was one where I could play like drive like Jehu. And she's going to be like, yes, I like this. Right. And I can I like yank crime. Put it right. on again. while yeah. I do my Downward dog. Right. So she you know, but like I, I could play six going on seven. But what's really cool is your solo, your solo work is stuff that you can put that on for anybody. Like it is like yeah, it, it is easily connectable. It is like I hear it. I'm like, this is fuck. Like, this is the perfect. Like, you're outside. You have a fire. Like, you you've caught a vibe of like, like you've got a variance in it, but it is still it has something where it feels very comfortable to listen to. That's the that's kind of the story for me with your music. Is there's that's such cool, a familiarity man. to your music for me? Like, it connects to another part of me. Well, I think also, you know, like in writing music and, and I, I see this in bands that I really like and, and totally unconnected to me other than like I follow yeah. their 
trajectories is, you know, as a fan, I like certain things and I'm like, eh, I'm not so into that or whatever. But what I really, really like about the trajectories of artists that I follow is it's not all for me, but I also like that they're on their own trip. And I feel yes. like when I started doing solo stuff, man, it was such a hard right turn from band stuff because I don't have the ego where I need to be like, this has to be my, mm -hmm. you know, this is my thing and get out of the room. If you don't want to go, you know, my way or the right. highway. Right. It was completely, the band was done. I was at an age where I was old enough that I was like, Oh, do I want to do this again? And young enough sure. that I, you know, I probably should, but it was too hard for me to find. I, I just didn't want to start the process of what am I going to do? Am I going to like place a online ad on Craigslist to see right. like who's interested in, you know, who likes these bands? Yeah. I was back in my hometown after years of being on the East coast. Mm -hmm. And so it really was out of necessity. I just thought, you know, like I want to make more music. And so, mm -hmm. you know, playing those songs on a guitar on an acoustic guitar. Right. And I wrote most of the six, nine, seven stuff on a bass, you know? So it's like, that, right. that's a difference also. And then just the process of doing that, it just, it came out of that. And I didn't want this. I didn't want to feel like I was forcing a direction. Yes. So I feel like it took me a while to find my footing in the context of that stuff. Yeah. And now I feel like there, there are like the six and seven stuff and like stuff um, of other bands that I like, I can pick and, you know, I, I like certain things more than others, but it right. has a, it's past the point of, um, you know, it's out, <laughs> it's yeah, out. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. No one's ever going to unsee that outfit you wore to the prom or whatever. Yeah. So like, let's just, no. let's just get it out of the way. We'll, we'll as, go forward. You know, as I discussed with uh, your, your bandmate, Adam, like yeah. everybody had a Jinko jeans <laughs> face I, I, back then. You're, we, everybody was, everybody's got a bad picture or two out there. <laughs> yeah. I definitely didn't have Jinko jeans, but I absolutely have a yearbook photo with like a pretty, day glow vision streetwear fanny pack of course right yep. up front who doesn't want to see that years right on? right <laughs> um so uh before we go before we wrap everything up i want to yeah. talk about the new project sure you guys have officially announced it you've got your social media started fill everybody in on the progress of uh of the new band yeah well it's um so it's an idea that adam had it's kind of you know he I don't even know how I missed that he had been sort of working on these songs, but I right. think just, he was doing, you know, he was doing his living his life, owning a barber shop, which is plenty, you know, right. his two kids and living. <laughs> yeah. He's such an anomaly man. And that he's lived his entire life. You know, even though he's toured the world, he's lived his entire life in Queens, New York and San Diego, California. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like those couldn't be more different in some ways. No, there's but, no similarity you can make between the two, <laughs> but he still has the same, he still has the same Adam swagger. It's just a little more like stony. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and that's yeah. not to apply. He's stoned. It's just more like a little yeah. more like the serotonin levels have dipped just to, you know, ever so slightly. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was doing this stuff and he's like, I got a name and he gave me the context for the name. The name of the band is Attempt Survivors. Mm -hmm. And I would say it's a project because I always am, you know, I'm so superstitious with, with stuff and he yeah. knows it. Yeah. But, um, but we've now recorded two songs and I've heard them and I think they're great. And I'm yeah. excited about the people involved. So it's Adam playing guitar and then this guy, Eric, I think Abert is how you say his last name, who plays in a band called The Life and Times. Yes. Yeah. Um, in Chicago, which The Life and Times share a member in Shiner, the Kansas mm -hmm. City yep. band. But I think The Life and Times might be based out of Chicago, or I, I don't know if I'm getting that I right. believe but, so. 
Yeah. So Eric's there. And then this guy, Matt Kane, who played in a band versus Antelope with Chris Daly. Um, it was a cool band. That record is so fucking yeah. good. Adam is the one that turned me on. Yeah, Adam to turned it. you on to that record. I, right? okay. got, so I, I bought it. I fucking love it. Oh, it's so good. I don't know it the way that like, I don't know it, but I've been, I've been duly informed, but I like Matt a lot. And then Matt played in a band called big collapse, which was sort of like when shift folded, it was the next major label band. Yeah. That, that, that um, they did. Yeah. And Matt was the guitar player, sort of like the, when we're talking about Def Leppard, like he's the cool licks guy in that. Yes. Band. He's all the hot licks <laughs> yeah. guy. And, um, and then Kyle Stevenson, um, played in big collapse also but he is the now for like 16 years or something the drummer of helmet yeah kyle's been in helmet forever so kyle's you know like got this thing he does you know outside of the context of helmet but also you can't it's like you can't unsee that you play with Paige hamilton for 16 years absolutely kind of like he does one thing just about as good as anybody can do it. I agree completely. <laughs> you know, that's yep. the, that's yep. the best way. Like being in a room, I'm like, oh shit! Like this is yeah. fun. You know? Yeah. So we, Adam and I, did the most awkward like FaceTiming working on these songs. You know, <laughs> yeah. with like, oh, I sorry, man, I lost you. You cut out. Like, you know, over the course <laughs> of however many months, and then working on things, I just sort of cherry picked two ideas that I liked out of a lot that he had that felt like were. They felt organic. I actually recorded vocals on a song that was done that I had no input on um, and liked parts of it. But then in re- later on was like, you know, I would want to change this because this feels like I'm sort of like shoehorning this yeah. idea in. The song's really good. Maybe a different singer would do it different. It'd be great. You know what I mean? Right. But I'd want to re and I want to tweak a few things or let's work on this. Yep. And so we worked on two songs that just felt um felt like they had a, a nice symbiotic feel for like what we could all add to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went down, um, we rehearsed one day, me and Kyle and Adam mm-hmm. in um, Kyle's rehearsal space, which is in this super cool. His wife manages a hip hop studio in Hollywood called Chalice. Oh, nice. So the entire, it, it's a nice, it's way nicer than in any place I've ever actually recorded in, you sure. know? Um, like big time. And it's, I think it's like $2,700 a day or some like insane thing, but it's literally like Justin Bieber, Britney Spears, frozen soundtrack, Rihanna, Jay-Z, Ludacris. These albums are all albums that were recorded in the studio. So then I'm like, okay. And then, and then the attempt survivors, we're going to go down the hallway here (laughs) back around the corner into this little room. That's like clearly the storage room where Kyle's got his kit set up where he's able to do all this stuff. (laughs) We played for a few hours, went out and got some, uh, some falafel and uh, or burritos or whatever it was. I don't remember. No, 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 it wasn't. It was Monty's good burger. This uh, Monty's good burger. Anyway, so we had some vegan, vegan, uh, Fake fake hamburgers and fries yeah, and, we're, and stuff. We're vegan. I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. so am I and, and my kids and everything. Uh, anyway, so we ended up going uh, there, going back, rehearsing a little bit more, and then just said, "Are we good?" And then the next day, we recorded with uh, Toshi Sai, this guy in uh, little north of there, I think in Burbank or somewhere okay. around there. And Toshi was in the band Big Business, and he oh, also yeah, he, he runs around Wino is, um, and all those guys, right? He, uh, he is. Um, records all the melvin stuff yes yes and uh anyway he's a uh, super funny interesting yeah. guy who has 
a very cool studio of his own called, yeah. I think it's called Sound of Sirens. Mm-hmm. But if you talk about like the difference, like one of them is like the punk rock aesthetic, like we're talking about. And the other one is like, you could lick the floor. Right. You know, like Chalice right. is just like, Ooh, like, Ooh, I should, I should really slice this table after I've eaten my French fries at it. You know, right. Yeah. Like Toshi's is just like gear everywhere. <laughs> and you're kind of like, it's like beautiful chaos. Yes. You know? Yeah. So we recorded those songs, uh, those two songs. And then the other guys, did their parts remotely and now it's being mixed and uh, it's just going to be a two song uh, seven inch and a two song digital thing with the hope that we can do probably, I mean, my, my hope versus Adam, since Adam had his chance, now it's my chance. (laughs) Adam, you can't, Adam, if you're out there, I know you're, it's driving you nuts, but you don't get a way in on this one. No, but uh, so he really wants to do an album next. I'm of the mindset that I could go for another 45 and then an album or just an album. Okay. But seeing as I'm feeling agreeable today, we'll say we're going to do this. It's going to be a full length. <laughs> the, the full length is definitely on the horizon. And that's um, great. I love everybody involved. They're all, they're all, you know, really talented and they're, they're yeah. all cool. I, I send them nice emails saying like, Hey, nice to virtually meet you guys. And I get no response. Right. I think they probably think I'm a total dickhead at this point. Like they're <laughs> like, why does this guy write me? I don't want, I don't want to hear from him anymore, but I'm just so jazzed, man. Like it's a, yeah. it's a, weird, it's a weird way to make a few songs and, right. but um, it's turned out good. We did, we did the legwork initially. Yes. So I'm excited yeah. for people to hear it. You know, I'm excited go. to hear it, man. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's one of those things that I'm highly anticipating. And now the more I talk to you guys about it, the more I'm like, I really fucking, I want to hear these songs. I, I like it. You know, like I, I like those guys and I'm excited and I think we made something cool and I'm not quite sure, you know, it definitely has like influences that I hear that are obvious yeah. to me, yeah. but I think it's also sort of a melting pot of like a diff- different things. And um, yep. it's definitely heavier than stuff I've done in a long time, which is great for me because sure. it's just fun for me to be like, Ooh, you know, like, yeah, I definitely wouldn't play that riff, but yes. I want to sing over it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not, not like I wouldn't play it because I'm above it. Just, I just wouldn't ever, you wouldn't write something like that. And play I wouldn't it. write it. Exactly. Yep. There you go. Um, so, well, Josh, we went all over the place and I'm really glad we did. This was, yeah, man. this was so much fun. Um, before we go, uh, if you want people to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Um, I'm only on Instagram as myself mm-hmm. under at Joshua English, Joshua English, you know, and yep. then um, at Attempt Survivors Band, I think is the other one for the I Attempt Survivors. So, yeah. And we we'll can post them in the, we can post yeah. them in the respective, uh, you know, little blurb. Yes. But otherwise, yeah, man, Joshua English Music is my spot for stuff. And that links you to all of the Spotify and Bandcamp and what have you stuff. And uh, that's good enough for me, man. Just those awesome. two things. Awesome. Yeah. Josh, it was awesome having you on here. Um, Likewise, man. I really appreciate the time. Uh, and what we'll do is we're, well, we're going to hang up and then I got a kid rock story for you. So, uh, oh, I love it. I love yeah. it <laughs> for all you PG listeners. The podcast ends now. When we get <laughs> That's kid rock. Right. All right. And we'll talk to you guys all next week. Later. <laughs>